A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short term plans at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Andy Murray, and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. Welcome to the Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph. My name is David Law, a commentator for BT Sport and BBC Radio 5 Live. I'm joined by Catherine Whitaker from Eurosport. Not only tennis these days, but also ice skating she's been doing over the last week. We'll hear more about that later. But, Catherine Whitaker, we need to get straight to it, because there is a new world number one in town. His name is Andy Murray. How about that? Or there will be tomorrow, yeah. I mean, te- technically it's tomorrow, isn't it? Monday, it's one of those um, weird technicalities. But, but it's it's okay to celebrate before the computer actually, um, or commiserate for some people, not least Novak Djokovic. Um, but uh, yeah, it, I'm gonna, I think I'm going to find this podcast quite tough because it's one of those achievements. It's one of those things that's so, so big and momentous and I guess because because we have we are British we have particular experience of Andy Murray we've probably spoken him to more to him more than any other tennis player we have sort of special insight I think into what it's taken for him to get there I don't I, I know it's taken that for every world number one to get there or close to but we have particular knowledge of that and I I think I'm going to struggle a bit i probably shouldn't be saying this one minute and uh, 40 seconds in people are tuning out in droves as i speak but i think i'm going to find it quite difficult actually to really capture uh in words what this is and and what it means really yeah so so far you've already said that we may as well not be bothering doing this podcast until tomorrow because he's not actually world number one yet and now you've said that your podcast is going to be rubbish so um great I'm really thrilled and excited about the prospect. Um, but uh, look, I, I, I'm quite happy to, to carry the load, Catherine. You can just, um, you, you, I tell you what, you just wait till pole vault and then you can get involved in that. Got which is a, I've if, got some things to say about that, David. I've been, I've been monitoring your activity and I'm, I'm like a loaded gun. Great. Okay. Just to mark your card. Wait. Looking forward to that already. Um, if you've never listened to the tennis podcast before, Pole Vault is where I basically go on Twitter uh, at Tennis Podcast and ask a bunch of questions and get public opinion. Inane questions to which there is no meaningful or relevant rep- response. As you can tell, Catherine's can't wait for that section of the show. This is a weekly occurrence. She 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 really really enjoys it. But what she does is she tries to to sort of play that down on a weekly basis. <laughs> don't I do a co- good job of it? Don't you? Um, so 
anyway, uh, I mean, I think first and foremost, I think I think one of the strange things about Andy Murray's ascent to world number one is the the sheer fact that it didn't involve the match at the end of it. I mean, I don't know about you, but I was at a, a children's party when I when I saw on a big screen uh, in in a place called Wacky Warehouse. I saw on a TV screen on one of those little sort of scrolling bars at the bottom of a news twenty four news hour channel. How, how wacky how, can a warehouse be? I tell you, this one was particularly wacky, and it was even more wacky when I discovered that um, uh, Andy Murray was was world number one at that particular moment by effectively by default. Now, of course, that's that's not true. He, he's he's earned it over the, the the course of a full year. One could say over the course of twelve years, but it was a strange way for it to happen, a, a quite un, unsatisfactory way for it to happen on a number of levels. I think he, 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 he deserved better than that. He deserved a moment of, of, of triumph in order to get to world number one. But still, what, what then struck me is the, the outpouring, not just from his fans, which you would expect, uh, and, and probably from the wider British public and so forth, but from his peers, the 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 affection that people seem to have for him and the the regard in which he is held i mean the number of players up and down the tennis tour both genders particularly actually on the wta side i mean i think he his attitude towards women's tennis has has been really appreciated um over the course of the last number of years but I think, yeah. I mean, he's he's not a song and dance man, is he, Andy Murray? But there's, I think there's there's an appreciation that this is a decent guy who's worked his butt off for so long, and has had these three roadblocks in the way, three of the, if not the greatest players of all time, in the way, and that it might never have happened. And here it was; it did happen. Yeah, he's muscled his way in to to what I consider the 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 greatest era of men's tennis in terms of there being three, now four, incredibly great players all playing pretty much their best at the same time at, at some point or another over the last 10 years. Um, yeah, it's... it's. Re- I mean, the fact that he's the oldest new number one since John Newcomb in 1974, that tells you what a struggle has been. That, that tells you that it, it really has been 12 years in the making or 11 years since he officially turned pro, I think. That's what it's taken. He has been clawing and clawing for every one of those days, months, years. You know, I I sort of, I picture him on that Versa climber. I can, I I mean, I feel exhausted just thinking about the Versa climber, which is his preferred um, method of torturing himself in training. I think preferred is, is probably... Um, not quite the right way of putting it. I remember Kyle Edmund talking earlier this year about how much of a shock to the system it was doing a training block with Murray uh, in Dubai and being introduced to the Versa Climber. He said he considered himself quite a fit guy until that moment. Uh, Yeah, I just have this sort of image of him, this metaphorical image of him on the Versa Climber, trying to climb up to that number one spot and just no matter how hard he climbs, there's somebody they're climbing a bit faster or whatever it is you know and and uh oh it it's just amazing i've got to that point where i need to try and sum up sum it up and i can't really other than to say that i'm really pleased as you point out that others seem to appreciate what an achievement it is i have been very heartened 
by the response because people do seem to to get it. It really, really is momentous. More momentous than a Wimbledon title, more momentous than an Olympic gold medal. And all of those things are momentous. For me, this is the most momentous in terms of Andy Murray. The only aggro that I, that I encountered uh, upon hearing this news from anybody out there was actually people f- from golf who, who were saying, I don't, don't seem to recall all this fuss when uh, Lee Westwood or, or Luke Donald got to world number one. But, I mean, for me, there's a, there's a couple of things there. One, one is they never won a major title, and I think that that is – is an asterisk. We've talked about it in terms of Caroline Wozniacki, Elena Yankovic, Dinara Safina, Marcelo Rios. I, I do feel that the it is difficult to to look at them in exactly the same way if they don't win a major title. Plus, from a British perspective, those two golfers were number three and four respectively over the course of two or three decades who got to world number one. No British player has ever done it before. And to do it within this era only adds to that level of achievement. Now, I do feel that there are there are people that could say, well, hold on, he hasn't done it when those three players have, have been present and at their best because Djokovic has gone through a few months of struggle. Nadal, we know, has had the wrist injury and, and hasn't been at the level he was a few years ago and Federer has been injured for six months. Is there anything there that would would make you want to say or, or, or accept that there is a, a question mark over whether actually would he have done it if those things, those people were in place and playing well? Well, what do you mean? I mean, what if if Rod Laver was still at his peak? He'd, no, come he'd on, be a challenge as well. I'm not really sure. Well, what... Now you're being silly because well, because why? Roger Federer has been injured for six but months, But I'm not sure saying, oh, he's not had to play Nadal. I mean, for me, Nadal is not in the equation anymore he might be again in the future i don't see any signs of it just now but to say all oh, he's not played nadal in that period irrelevant i'm afraid um I, the, the the only the only thing i would give any credence to in what you just said is not having played djokovic um it's just one of those those quirks of draws and schedules that they haven't actually met in the last 6 months not met since uh, the paris final um and yeah i want to see that match i want i want to see if it brings the djokovic of the first half of 2016 out in djokovic and i want to see if it if it brings out the the baggage that he had been walking onto court with against novak djokovic if if becoming world number one sort of erases some of that baggage uh, you know i i want to see that match up with the new rankings dynamic. I really do. And, and uh, I feel pretty sure I've said it on the podcast before. I think Murray wants to play that match as well. I really do. I think he would, would like to prove himself in that matchup. And I do think there would be so much going on there psychologically. It, it uh, Yeah, it, that, I want it to happen at the O2. I really do. They did have that little crossover point, didn't they, when Murray was starting to get towards this sort of form in in beating Djokovic in Rome and then losing to him in four sets in that French Open final. They had that little moment of crossover there. They haven't played since. And frankly, Djokovic hasn't really been the same player since either. Um, I mean, I'm, I wonder whether, whether they ever will. 
You know, I mean, how serious is this for Djokovic? That's that's what I'm trying to work out. You're wondering if they'll ever play again. No, no. Well, I think they'll they'll play again, but will we will we see them at their best at the same time? I mean, how serious is this um, this slide from Djokovic? Is it a blip? Is it? I mean, I, I just don't think we, we we don't know. It will be interesting to see what state Novak Djokovic turns up at at the O2 because from what from what I saw and from what I've heard of him in the press conference he 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 doesn't sound that bothered about it all at the moment it it sounds as though he's it sounds as though he's struggling to find reason to really care that much uh, it, and I, I I mean where do you get motivation from it sounds it sounds quite serious to me yeah, I think so too. It, it's it's a real shame. I'm I'm not in I'm not enjoying watching it. Um, as I say, you know, it feels like we're seeing some somebody unravel a little bit before our eyes. Um, I do think he will get back on track. I'm not sure we'll ever see him have a two year period of utter dominance the way we have in the last couple of years. I'm I, I'm not sure we'll see that again. He will win Grand Slams again, surely. I really can't quite envisage a world just yet where he doesn't. But it, but it perhaps is a bit more serious than I originally thought. I mean, for me, I mean, he quite clearly is burnt out and needs some time away from tennis. And I had thought perhaps if it weren't for the fact that Murray were clipping at his heels on the rankings front, he might have done an Nadal and decided to sit out the rest of the season. Now, Murray's already caught him. I know that Djokovic can catch him back up if uh, he has an amazing time uh, at the O2. But you're right. E- even even now, he he doesn't seem to be massively motivated in the immediate term to get that number one ranking back. And if that's not a motivator, you probably just need to step away and and. I don't know. I don't. I. I don't know Novak Djokovic. I don't know what'll work for him. But he's not suddenly not a good tennis player. That, no, that's the know, only you, you fact know, we have. You know. You know when you say surely he'll win more Grand Slam tournaments. I mean that logic suggests yes. That that's true. But I do feel when I think of someone like Bjorn Borg and to a lesser extent John McEnroe, those are two players that did it all and kind of hit the wall, just hit the wall. And even though McEnroe came back and obviously Bjorg, Bjorg, Borg tried to make comebacks, they could never dig into that well again. I, don't, I feel as though, I mean, Borg left it probably too long, but I can kind of relate to it. The, the, the amount of stress, the amount of mental effort that it took for Djokovic to do what he's done it seems to me to have resulted in him almost not wanting to have to put himself through that anymore, and and that uh, and that uh, you know he could probably do without it a, 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 a bit. And um, uh, unless he he he, you know that you know that feeling sometimes when you see both him and Murray on the court, and something happens, and you see that defiance come out. That sort of right then, okay, I'm going to show everybody here. That's gone at the moment from Djokovic. He needs to he needs to get that look back, that look of I'm gonna I'm gonna just make sure 
that I win. I, I I'm gonna. I don't care what it does to me. I'm gonna win. Yeah. And, and and he's lost that. Yeah, and I do just wonder if a match with Andy Murray, who's just taken his crown from him, could be the thing to bring that out in him. I I'm gonna show that that well, not that you're not the rightful number one. I I believe his magnanimity uh, on that front, but you know I'm gonna show that. I'm still a force here. You might have got the number one ranking for now, but I'm still there and I intend to get it back. I do wonder if it's that matchup that could, even if only fleetingly for the duration of that match, if he's unable to muster it in that situation, then I would really, really think, wow, he he needs to step away and, and reset somehow. He needs He needs the reset button, doesn't he? He needs to power down and and power up again that fixes all problems doesn't it off and on again <laughs> it certainly does certainly when my, when my computer blows up um i yeah look i we, we talked about burnout a few weeks ago i i think he needs a, a long break and he needs to and that may even be i mean look i think he'll play the o2 but there's a bit of me that wonders whether he could just do it getting away from all of it um and and having two months away but um, anyway, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, just on going back to Murray more generally, where I mean, four tournament wins in a row. Do you feel that could you could you put your finger on a point where you thought actually this is this is different now? That this this guy is is relentless, and unless Djokovic can stay with him, he's going to get to world number one. Did you? Is there a a point that you could uh, that you could identify? <laughs> If I had to pin, if I had to create a point in my mind, it perhaps wasn't as you know light bulb as what you're describing. But uh, the moment I heard he was he was boarding a private jet from Rio to Cincinnati to play there, I thought, okay, he means business now. I really, I thought, crikey, that's that is that is the behaviour of somebody hell bent on on getting to the top. I couldn't really think of another reason for him to play Cincinnati we talked about it at the time on that podcast which brings me to to another point that it's worth mentioning he got no ranking points for that Olympic win no ranking points so in real terms if you factor in that Olympic win he's actually got there by more of a margin really than than the uh, than the computer will tell you at the moment yeah no that's true um I, I would actually go back to the employment, the reemployment of Lendl, and it's not, it's not necessarily, uh, in inverted commas, the Lendl factor as much as the intent behind it, and knowing the kind of character that Lendl is, and the kind of character that got him to world number one, and stayed at number one, and had that relentlessness. I think that Lendl and Murray ran out of goals a little bit two or three years ago when they when they went their separate ways and they'd, they'd climbed the mountain and it was like right what what now you know that i do feel that they murray struggled for motivation himself for a while and over the last couple of years having come back from from back surgery having done well but having still been in the slipstream and the shadow of novak Djokovic, i think that 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 coupling once more just made 
made sense to the two of them that actually we do have a goal here. We do have something you you know Andy Murray has never done before, and it is achievable. There is there's something about Lendl's approach that relentlessness that Andy Murray lacked before. He he was brilliant. He was strong. He was defiant, but he was in and out, and he wasn't able to do it without a cause. Lendl has that ability, even though he's not even been around that much. Just, just his his whole philosophy is about right. Do it again. Right. Do it again. And you've seen that over the last few months. Yeah, I can't. Well, I mean, I'm not sure anybody can argue with that because the results tell the story, don't they? I mean, there has been an enormous uplift in his performance, his drive, his results since he re-employed Lendl so that I mean that is fact and uh it- and actually in it with a guy like Delgado who 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 seems to be able to just provide the the environment and the atmosphere in which he can and the framework for him to just keep doing that I mean he's he's been the ever-present hasn't he and, and he it obviously I mean I, I I knew Jamie quite well when he was a player I don't know him as a coach I don't know really what he does but he obviously does something very, very right. No, exa- I feel exactly the same. I- I've had a couple of tweets saying, oh, you know, make sure you give Delgado the credit he deserves in, in this week's pod for getting him to, to number one. And-, and, and I thought, yes, you're right, but I don't really know what to say because I feel the same as you. I don't know specifically what the nitty-gritty of his role in that team is, particularly when Lendl is there. What I do know is that we, we know Andy Murray needs stability. He 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 needs somebody with him that's going to be there week in, week out when he is on the road, uh, that's going to be a constant presence. It's a very, very challenging life being on the road. And I'm not saying he's just, you know a buddy to to eat with and, and all the rest of it. But I, I think that element is important to him. He needs the stability and the consistency. And, you know, Lendl's never going to sign up to, to 38 weeks a year. And Delgado has done that. And again, <laughs> the results don't lie. It works. And and I think that that's probably something he, he lacked throughout the period of time that he was with Emily Moresmo. I think that they needed to have that second person. They they tried it with Jonas Bjorkman. It, it went relatively well. But I think that that's ultimately something that he really lacked in that period was was that ever-present. Um, but I, I the, the, the other thing that I was I – was, I'm trying to work out. I mean, it's it's just it's only speculations. Only all we can do is speculate. Is is work out whether or or give our views on whether we think that there will be now a Murray era. The fact that we've had Federer and it's unlikely that he's going to be able to regularly compete at that level again. I would have thought at least Nadal. He he spoke in a Times interview a couple of days ago about how he's desperate to to challenge for for Slam titles again. The unknown with Djokovic. Could you see Andy Murray taking this on now and, and actually this time next year, for instance, still being world number one? Of course I can. Of course, of course, that's a strong possibility. Anybody who says it isn't is wrong. It's also a strong possibility still for me that Djokovic comes back strong and this blip seems nothing more than a blip and, you know, he goes on and wins the Australian Open the way he summarily does. 
Um, it's also a strong possibility that, you know, someone like Zverev suddenly becomes, takes an, a step up, which frankly, he's taking sizable steps up all the time, but, you know, comes from nowhere and wins a Grand Slam title. You know, that's not, all of these things are possible. So, yes, I think it's, I think it's very possible that Murray could do that, but I just don't know. After the Australian Open, after the French Open, everyone thought Djokovic is going to win everything for the next year and a half because he's just won everything for the year and a half. Well, it doesn't work like that, does it? Just because it seems that way now. You know, people have short memories in sport. I'm guilty of it as much as anybody, but and I know it's not very satisfying on a tennis podcast to uh, to hear the experts say, I don't know, but we don't. Well, the, the beauty is, of course, we've got pole vault to look forward to, which is when we when we discuss all this and we actually have your listener opinion as well. Uh, and of course, Catherine, um, we've also had a tweet uh, today from Sam who says, personally, I'd like to hear Rosie's thoughts on Andy getting to number one. What does Rosie think of all this? Well, I like Sam, for starters. Well done, Sam. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I mean, if Rosie were here, I, f- I feel confident speaking for Rosie that she would not approve of what's coming up in Pole Vault, pole vault and would express her view accordingly. Fine. Okay. Well, Rosie, you know, I'm glad you're not here then, really. Um, Rosie's a dog, by the way, if you haven't listened to the last uh, six weeks of uh, the tennis podcast. Um other storylines from from Paris. The man that Andy Murray beat in the final, John Isner. That was a good. That was a good journey to the final for him, wasn't it? Because it's felt a bit like he's been treading water to me over the last two or three years, and that that will be much needed. Maybe he can mount a bit of a spurt next year. There is opportunity out there for players like him and Marin Cilic and other big hitters who've just been in the slipstream of these these guys. Yeah, I mean, the career of John Isner has been a bit of a a mystery to me, really. I mean, I know, given his height, there are obvious huge advantages and obvious major limitations. He could never be a world number one or a, you know, multiple Grand Slam champion. But, you know, he should have got to a, a big collection of Grand Slam quarterfinals and probably a couple of semifinals and, you know, reached more semis and finals of of Masters, I reckon. I know that makes it sound really easy and, and there's been people like Djokovic and Murray and Federer and Nadal around making sure that nobody really has a, a chance at that. But I, I, I've i wondered about his desire. I've wondered about, you know, whether he is one of those players and we know they exist and it's another sort of each to their own point that it is just happy to to be a sort of, top 20 top 30 player to to make sure they're seeded at the slams and get into the master series and do relatively well and and live a nice life and and uh could be pretty happy with what they do but you know don't put in the hours on the versa climber that andy murray does i don't i don't know i i genuinely don't have anything specific to back up that hypothesis other than that his results generally should have been better, I think. So um, it's not a surprise for me to see him playing some really good tennis and having some good results. It's more a surprise that he hasn't done it more frequently over the last eight years. 
Yeah, yeah, I, I'm I'm surprised that we haven't seen more of John Isner, particularly at the slams in the latter stages. Given given his weapons, I think he hasn't always scheduled his year that well. Personally, I think he he he's got some things wrong there. But um, look, you know, he's still a huge guy. He's still got a, an incredible weapon with that serve, and um, and maybe his best is still to come. Now, the O2 starts in uh, just uh, a week's time, Catherine. I think the actual draw is uh, is tomorrow, Monday. Um, but uh, it is. Marincinic- the players are skyping in. Are they? Oh, crikey. Yeah. M- um, Skyping in, how's that work? Well, I think they, um, and I think this is a good decision, they wanted to do the draw earlier this year than they have done in previous years so that people buying tickets in, in the remaining week before um, it starts can know what they're going to see. Uh, and I think there's something to be said for that. And and, and actually, I suspect that the... The organisation of the tournament probably needs that more this year than it ever has before because of the absence of Nadal and Federer. Yes, I, I would have thought so. I, 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 it's a fantastic tournament, but how can they not have been hit up until this point by their absence? Um, yeah, I mean, of course, Andy Murray having the profile that he has achieving what he has just done will help. And I, I think this will help as well. I think it's a really good call from them. It means... They don't get that fantastic picture to accompany the draw, but I think it's quite cool them getting the players to Skype in. Yeah, it is quite cool. I'll have to figure it out how to do it. Have to how to follow this, uh, Catherine. You'll have to uh, tell me tell me how it all works. Anyway, uh, the so the draw will come up. I, I mean, if it's anything like the WCA finals, it may end up leading. I suspect to to better matches um, with one or two major stars but then people like Gaelmon Feast, Dominic Team, Chilich has been there before but he didn't he didn't do well, he was injured. Um and uh, Milos Raonic, I suppose there's a big question mark over him right now with the uh with the with the tear in the the quad that he he suffered and that put him out of that semi-final in Paris. Yeah, I mean on paper it looks great. On paper it's a lineup I'm really excited about genuinely. Um but whilst obviously sad about the absence of Federer and Nadal. Uh, however, I would say there's a question mark more than just over Milos Raonic. There's a question mark over Gaelman Fee still for me. There's a question mark over Dominic Team. I won't bore you all with it again, but oh, Dominic, come on. Um, well, maybe, maybe, but isn't, it, isn't the reason he's made it that he's played all these events? What <laughs> David? He pulled out of the U.S. Open, basically exhausted uh, during his what was it third round, fourth round match against uh, Del Potro. I mean, re- reaching Grand Slam semi-finals will get you there, as well as playing three ATP 250 events on the bounce. I know which I'd rather do. Anyway. I'm really pleased he's there, really. I'm not laying into Dominic Team. I think he's great, and that's where this comes from. I'm really pleased he's qualified, but you shouldn't. he shouldn't have been in a position where he lost second round in Vienna and first round in Paris and was having to sit and wait and see if others overtook him. He just shouldn't have been in that position. But anyway, yeah, on paper, it's a really exciting lineup. I genuinely like it. I like that there's some new blood in there. I love that Gail Morfis has qualified. I love that. But 
it does seem a bit of a limp across the finish line. I mean, even Andy Murray has a question mark. I mean, he must be running on fumes. He must be, surely. Yeah. Uh, incidentally, I do agree with you on Dominic team. Uh, I, I mean, uh, I think there is a, a point to be made that part of of the the points accumulation is when it comes from players playing a lot of events sometimes. But but to me, his gifts are such that he should be copying what the very top players are doing scheduling wise because he's capable. He's that good. He, he's he, he's he's Stan Wawrinka like. Um, and we will see uh, what his future brings. But uh, yeah, I, I, I'm I'm excited by the the O2 lineup. Uh, but inevitably, it is so often compromised a little bit the end of season tournament on on both sides just by the sheer miles on the clock that these players have got. So we'll see what they turn up like. I mean, do you remember a few in the one of one or two of the first years that the tournament took place? Djokovic really struggled with that. And then eventually, his scheduling was so good that he that he came into the t- into the tournament with with more energy than anybody. Um, and uh, but so that's a that's a learning process as much as anything, I suspect. Now, Catherine, pole vault. Are you excited? <laughs> Come on then, give give, actually, give me a best you, shot. You actually had a public um, go at me, I saw, I on, on Twitter. I did. I um, snapped, David. I mean, I, yeah, I was quite hurt, actually. I thought you could take it because West Brom had just be- beaten Leicester. I thought, now's my time. Yeah, well. Sorry, could you repeat that? that was, what was that? That was Google, Google voice <laughs> recognition. As I said, West Brom beat Leicester, it did a Google search for me. I now have search results, David, all about West Brom's glory today. It's not and what it I wanted, you, but... And it asked you to repeat that. Yeah. Doesn't it understand who West Bromwich Albion are? No, it said, sorry, I didn't understand what you're saying. I'm sure if I'd said Man United or Arsenal, she wouldn't have said that anyway. Mm, tell you what, take a hammer to that <laughs> computer is what I would say. Anyway, um... A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This edition of the Tennis Podcast is sponsored by Tennis Channel, and Tennis Channel Plus is the place to watch the French Open. They've got every court live, and you can watch on your phone or on your smart TV in HD. Sounds great. There's genuinely nothing I like more than watching multiple courts with matches everywhere. And can I just sit and watch court shows in Longland all day? You sure can, David. Wherever the stories are, the rivalries emerge and the generations clash, you can watch it all with daily live coverage beginning on Monday, May the 20th. Be there when it happens by subscribing to Tennis Channel Plus to stream daily coverage of Roland Garros. Use promo code TENNISPOD20 for 20% off your annual subscription. 
pole vault. Uh, we have a, a number of fascinating topics today, folks. You'll be delighted to know. Um, and uh, first of all, we have uh, this time next year, I asked you, uh, Catherine, uh, so I'll ask you again. This time next year, where will Andy Murray be ranked? Number one, number two, three to five, or six to ten? Was there a I don't know because no, nobody isn't that. knows. There isn't that. No. Right, okay. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, 53%, 53% think he'll be number one in the world. 40% think he'll be number two. So that's 93% think he'll either be number one or two in the world next year. Um, and in fact, uh, Isaac says, uh, barring injury, it's unthinkable that he will be below at least number two. Um, which, you know, I can see where he's coming from. I mean, I would also say, there is that question mark about motivation. We just have no idea how climbing the peak for Andy Murray will affect him. He's never done it before. No, it's probable. It isn't certainly not unthinkable. The alternative is not unthinkable, though. Isaac, I'm thinking it now. It's happening. It's thinkable. Okay, Catherine Whitaker here on the Tennis Podcast. Uh, number two, uh, pole vault for this week. Uh, in 2017, Andy Murray will win mm. the Australian Open, the French Open, both or neither. Again, was there a, an I don't know? No, there was no, there no I don't know because we all, oh, everybody knows. Yeah. What's the point of a tennis podcast if you don't know anything? <sighs> sorry, sorry, David. I, I momentarily forgot your mystic Meg like powers forgive me go on then what we got uh, we've got 56 percent reckon that he will win the australian open seven yeah, percent he's the favorite to win the australian open of course he is he's the world number one no how can he be how can he be the favorite to win the australian open when Djokovic has won it 86 times because he's the best player in the world right now are you saying he's not the favorite to be the world number one, to to win the australian open is that what you're t- telling me yeah, I am. Yeah. Okay. I don't think he's a favourite to win the Australian Open right now. No. I mean, he's the best player in the world. However, the Australian Open has certain characteristics, as does the French Open. I'd say it's about 50-50. I think you're being argumentative, David. I'm not, when have I ever been argumentative? <laughs> anyway, um, so 56% reckon that uh, he'll win the Australian Open. 7% think he'll win the French Open. 20% think he'll win both. How about that? And uh, 17% reckon that he'll win neither of them. So there you are, Catherine. Uh, as you can tell by the silence, folks, Catherine is just open-mouthed <laughs> at the moment with excitement of pole vaults here on the Tennis Podcast. At what point is number three? At what point should Andy Murray become Sir oh, Andy now, Murray? This is, this is the one that you've got to prepare yourself for me to unleash now. Go on, give it to me. Okay, uh, I mean, it's a multi-pronged unleashing. Okay. Okay. And I should probably preface it with, I, I personally don't have any um, Republican issue with um, knighthoods and honours. It's not coming from that place. I think there's a separate argument to be had. I'm sure Dave Levy will have it with anyone Our on Twitter who, uh, who wishes friend to... Friend of the uh, tennis podcast, who, Dave Levy. Yes, he wishes to have that debate, and that's fine. That's a separate debate, though. My points aren't on that that basis, I think. Honours are, in principle, fine. I, but my first point here is, who cares? He's just become the world number one. Okay, a a knighthood is a recognition of achievements 
that have already been achieved. Well, I am. We're all recognizing how great the achievement is. What what does what does a knighthood matter? What does it matter? Number two, let the bloke enjoy it for goodness' sake. I mean, what? What? Just just let him enjoy being world number one. That is enough. He's achieved like something incredible. That's enough in itself. What? Number three, I, I genuinely don't think he wants it or it's appropriate for him to have it during his career. I find the prospect of him being introduced onto the Centre Court at Wimbledon as Sir Andy Murray preposterous, frankly, and uh, I think he would feel the same. Number four, he will definitely get one at some stage, so there's no debate to be had. Of course he's going to get one. I mean, they, they give them out like candy on Halloween. Of course well, he's going to one? get one. He's our greatest sportsman of all time and i know that's debatable somebody oh yeah that's other, a good debate. others others would think differently but i'm not sure anybody could argue that he's not one of our greatest sports people of all time he is one of he will get a knighthood getting it now is preposterous talking about it now also preposterous what about pole vaulting it well i i know that's already happened so there's no point in me protesting Right. So, uh, so what's your answer then, Catherine? At what point should Andy oh, Murray become gosh. Sir Andy Murray? Forty-six percent say now. Four uh, percent say if he does the career slam. Forty-three percent say when he retires, and seven percent say never. Which one are you going with? When he retires. <laughs> Catherine Whittaker, uh, here on the Tennis Podcast. Oh, that's got to be a, an absolute uh, record-breaking enthusiasm. Uh, so, uh, poll vault number four. Uh, this time next year, Catherine Whittaker will be a fully-fledged pole vault convert. Uh, <laughs> genuine poll. 28% this was voted say yes. on. This was voted on, though, before people heard this recording. <laughs> and yeah, well, six, 63% say no. in my six, tone of voice. Uh, uh, you'll be pleased to know, Catherine, in this particular poll vault, there is a don't know as well. <laughs> Hooray! Nine percent don't Although, know. Ironically, this is the poll vault that is that is most unequivocal and least requires a don't know option. But anyway. Fine. Okay. Catherine hates poll vault. Sorry, everybody. I mean, you knew that already, but what can I do? I mean, it's... Occasionally, there's one that I, I think is worthy. I just think generally... Anyway, what's the what are, what, what are the answers? What have people got? Twenty eight percent say that yes, you will be a fully fledged pole vault convert <laughs> if David Law has anything to do with it. Sixty three percent say no, you won't, and nine percent don't know. And frankly, I've just I'm just giving up. <laughs> I'm just, just you've just broken me down after that rant. God, I did. So you were given ample warning. I was so looking forward to this show. Now, <laughs> oh. That's Can't why. That's why it. I warned you. That's why I warned anyway, you. Anyway, let's just finish with. Uh, I knew Andy Murray would be world number one when, and uh, we got some lovely contributions here. Uh, Ahmed says when he won the Davis Cup and welcomed Sophia Olivia into the world. These things always seem to catapult players to number one and reinvigorate them. Uh, Mike Tomlinson. Uh, well, that so says Ahmed. Uh, Mike Tomlinson, who is an advocate of consumer rights, a former employee in retail banking, and a huge tennis fan and a horror film fan, says... How do you know that about him? Because I've just read his profile on Twitter. All is right, that what Mike? we're doing now? <laughs> well, that is what we've just done. Uh, Mike Tomlinson says... I felt like says, you just read his like, online dating bio. Crikey. Hello, Mike. 
Oh, well, this has taken an unexpected <laughs> turn. Uh, Mike Tomlinson says when he was struggling in long matches in 2006 and 2007 and then next year had turned into an athletic machine, that showed he was serious. Yeah, I think that was part of the – that was one of the building blocks, definitely, wasn't it, to, for him to get from where he was as a, a junior to where he is now. Uh, the, the, Craig, the, the bicep kiss, I think, is the moment – that, that was good. Yeah. I, I particularly enjoyed the bicep kiss followed by the cutaway into the crowd where uh, Will Ferrell was there, the comedian, the comic actor. Will who Ferrell. Also Will did. Ferrell. Will Ferrell. No, it's Will Ferrell. Oh, fine. Whatever. You're thinking of uh, Ferrell, the, <laughs> the uh, hip-hop producer come, uh, come singer, David. You're, you're mixing your Ferrells. Given my music collection, hardly surprising. That's how up with it I am. Craig says, uh, when he massively improved on clay the past few years after his back surgery. Yeah, I'd say that's another good one, Craig. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Adele says, when... The Adele. The Adele, I reckon, yeah. The, the one <laughs> Why who sang not? That, that We've that no song, evidence um... to the contrary, so let's assume it is the Adele. Yeah. All I can say is, hello. <laughs> oh, God. When I honestly didn't... <laughs> Adele oh, says... We didn't uh, rehearse that bit. We didn't, I promise. David I just, is that, just that witty. Yeah. Uh, Adele says, I honestly didn't think he would. I thought he'd be the best world number two in decades, but remained that way. Well, good on her for being honest about that, because I think there's a lot of people that felt that way that are probably now saying, oh, yeah, I always knew he'd get to world number one. D- d- actually, that that is a good question. What... Honestly, what did you think? If you were to go back, I don't know, to when he won Wimbledon for the first time, to when he won Wimbledon this year, I mean, I'm, to, I mean, I'm sure we've documented it in the 259 previous episodes. Uh, I'm sure somebody can catch us out. But I, I would definitely say there was a big question mark in my mind as to whether he would ever be world number one, simply because of how different it is winning the slam Look at look at Vavrinka. He's never gotten close to to world number one, and yet he's won three slams. And and Andy Murray said that to, to in in his press conference, didn't he, last night about how it's his best achievement because it's it's harder. It's harder to do this. But he has added. That's that's why I made that big point about Lendl. And I don't even know if it is Lendl's impact, but a relentlessness has 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 come over Andy Murray in his approach to the sport in the last six or eight months, you're not seeing that dodgy couple of tournaments just thrown into the mix. I mean, if you, the last ones you'd have to go back to really a Miami and Indian Wells. And, and I'm really interested to see next year, whether he just basically charges his way through those draws as well. I mean, there is a, a tangible difference. That will be very interesting because, of course, he hadn't been thinking in terms of getting to number one this year. He was seeing that period, the sort of Dubai, Indian Wells, Miami period, as his window to get to number one. So he had, he was headlong thinking of throwing himself into in into that period and and not having a blip there like he has done before. I, I think it's something is is clicked. He's he's clicked into the mindset of this is how he he does things now he's already 29 so it's not like he has to think he's got 10 years ahead of him of, of of doing this I think that must help mentally but yeah I mean I I certainly wouldn't have said a year ago with any great I would have said I think he has a chance to I wouldn't write him off from doing it by any means I wouldn't have confidently predicted that he would have got to number one this time last year I really 
at any stage. Uh, I've got to number one at any stage. I, I yeah, I, I think to go back now and say, oh yeah, I, I always. Knew. I'm, I'm sure some people did. I'm sure some people would have said it with confidence and and well done them. But but I wouldn't have been one of those people. So there you go, Adele. We're 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 impressed with you, and uh, you brought out our, our um, honesty in turn. And we both admitted that we were rubbish. Uh, Karina says, uh, uh, "I knew." that he would get to world number one when he threw up on the court at the US Open and still beat Andre Pavlin five <laughs> sets. Yeah, Great memory. Not a bad shout. Not a bad shout. I'm inter- interestingly, I'm just uh, reading um, a piece on The Telegraph, um, which reports... Oh, and- shouldn't, you be talk- shouldn't you be concentrating on the tennis broadcast? Well, no, I, I had it up. But, oh, well, I've just read the uh, headline, and uh, it reports Annabelle Croft's view, which I really agree with, and it's something that I hadn't thought about for a while I, I i've recalled it many times on the tennis podcast but she put dates it back to that scrappy win over benoit pair in monte carlo in april and it was a turning point it was and i i'll i'll quote it again he came into that press conference and he said in the most steely way that i've seen him say most things that was a really big win for me. He, there was something in his eyes. There was a reason why I kept on banging on about it for ages afterwards. He, he knew it was almost like something had clicked. It really was. It, it, it was a big turnaround. He, he was match point down. He really should have lost that match. He was not playing well. Went on to lose to Nadal in the semi-finals. Then final in Madrid. One Rome. Final. You know. We know what's happened since then, but it really was like something clicked for him in that match. And uh, I think Annabelle might be onto something there. And, and I seem to remember whether whether it was that one or whether it was one of those come from behind wins at the the French Open because he he was he was really in trouble, wasn't he, in the first couple of rounds of the French Open this year? And I remember the quotes were that could end up being one of my most important wins, you know. Even though yeah. it was on paper, oh, what, what are you doing against him? Yeah. Um, I think it might have been the one against Stepanek. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, it was. And he ended up getting to the final, didn't he? And, and I, I, I think there's that. I also feel that at some point maybe a player can have a, have a performance like that and get away with it and think, I am not doing that again. I am not going to – I think sometimes a player can maybe even be a little immature on court and, and think – that's not acceptable. I need to be better than that. Um, I don't know whether Andy Murray felt that, but yeah, anyway, all great little marks in the sand, aren't they, over the course of, of his career and and what a career it's been. And it's ended up with him as the world number one for one week, two weeks, or however long until he, he might get knocked off and, and, and maybe he'll never do it again. We've seen players in the past only get there for one or two weeks in their careers. But He, he could it, do a Kafelnikov from this point on. Yeah, well, it's it's interesting. I was thinking back to to Reigns as world number one, and they're all look, they're all valid. All these people who were world number one, even Rios, who I, I've made the point didn't win a slam, he still got to number one of the world. Huge credit to him for that. But you know, Yevgeny Kafelnikov, it was quite unfortunate that he ended up as world number one on the back of six first round losses in a row. Extraordinary. I remember being there at the tournament in Prague when he went to world number one after six first-round losses in a row, and then, just the way the rankings worked out. And then suffered another few 
first round losses subsequently. No, didn't he lose several consecutive matches after becoming world number I think one? It, well, it I mean, all... may, maybe it was that way around, but he certainly lost six in a row. Um, and it was just obviously the, the points he'd accumulated over the course of the yeah. twelve months to that point got him there. Uh, and then it, you know, it didn't it didn't look great. But the fact is, he was world number one. And when you look at, I mean, what Sandy Murray, one of twenty six people in history men that have ever got to world number one you can never take that away uh it's uh it's a fantastic moment for him um it's yeah i think it's a great moment for tennis to be quite honest because i think i think that the big four as as they've been coined over the years it would be a, it would have been a heck of a shame if they had not all been world number one i think i think there would have always been that question mark over whether you can use that terminology to describe them well i, I think you can now even though murray's seven or eight slams behind even Djokovic, let alone the others. I think he will close that gap a bit. I think he might double the amount he's got right now, don't you? You you think he'll win another three minimum? I think he'll win another three. Yeah, I do. Uh, I, I don't know whether, whether he'll win any more than that, but I could see him winning another three. Yeah, um, yeah. I so. suppose, yeah, I, th- I think that's probable. Yeah, I think three is probable... Once you start getting into four, it's you know it's it's un- injury all of, you know beyond that I wouldn't want to do any predicting. And equally, as we've said, you know it, it is very easy sometimes to look at the current, the status quo, and think, oh, you know this will just carry on the way it is, mm. um, and things can change. But things here and now, happen, David. Things, things happen. happen. Things happen, and uh, who knows? Maybe next week there won't be a pole vault. Well, that ain't happening. I promise you there will be one. Catherine will be there, ringside. Next week I'll have plunged into such pole vault-induced despair that I'll have uh, done a U-turn and employed a spiritual guide. <laughs> well, actually, what, she, what are the know, chances of that do you reckon I, from what i'm hearing you'll have started your own figure skating podcast by then yeah uh, there's a gap I, I in hear, the market david gap yeah in the i mean market. i've already looked it up on twitter there is no at figure skating oh, podcast come on. handle. So, I, could, you know, I could become a podcast sports podcast empresario yeah that'd yeah, be could something be. Well, wouldn't it off you go then. Go and do that. You know, <laughs> already deserted tennis once this week. If you didn't know, Catherine has been commentating alongside Simon Reed, a very, very good commentator who we've had as a, a, a guest here on the tennis podcast in the past. Uh, and they've been talking about ice skating. Uh, and very well they did too, I have to say. I, I didn't really understand too much of it. I watched at least two hours, really enjoyed it, didn't understand a word, but um sounded like you knew what you were talking about to me. Oh, bless you, Dave. You made me feel bad for being mean to you now. Feel. So so you should feel bad. So you should, because I am hurt. Uh, and, and all pole vault fans around the world listening to the tennis podcast right now are equally hurt. And, um, and hoping, Catherine, that you will be the person that 28% of the voters have said you will be a year from now, a fully-fledged pole vault convert. But anyway. I look forward to letting down 28% of our listenership. Indeed. Um, as we tend to do on a regular basis, at <laughs> least that number. Uh, very nice talking to you, Catherine. Have a good week. You said um, three gritted teeth. Uh, very gritted teeth. Uh, we will be back. I don't exactly know when. I mean, we, we, we've got to come back, I guess, before the, the O2 starts, Catherine, which is next Sunday. So we'll see if we can get a preview show going for that or at least over the weekend. Uh, 
lovely to talk to you all of you thanks for listening do leave us a review on itunes if you haven't already follow us on twitter at tennis podcast get involved in all the talking points that i just dream up in the middle of the night and uh, we'll speak to you soon hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter that's why i teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create pretty litter its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80 percent less than clay litter Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.